Hello, this is Katherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide Podcast. Now that we know with the coronavirus that when the world is faced with a global threat perceived unilaterally by all as a global threat, governments can, in fact, move relatively swiftly, perhaps not always rightly, but still relatively swiftly and forcefully to mobilize and to regulate large populations. When else in our lifetimes have we witnessed a widespread shutdown of business and travel and legally enforceable home lockdown? Not in my lifetime. Thus, this bags the question, in the wake of the coronavirus, how can governments apply these same lockdown strategies and enforce these same regulations on business to shift from a still-dominant fossil fuel economy to a clean, renewable energy economy running on a global grid? Undeniably, this energy transition now makes social, environmental, and also economic sense. So what's holding us back? Why have banks continued to invest $1.4 trillion in fossil fuel investments this year, especially when they know that the renewable energy transition is happening and that these energy assets will soon be stranded? Longtime climate action expert Jennifer Morgan, now the CEO of Greenpeace International, joins me to share her reflections on why. And I'm here with Jennifer Morgan, who is the executive director of Greenpeace International. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So I really wanted to get a sense, I don't know how many, 40 years, decades long, you've been working on really trying to create momentum around climate action, first building people's awareness about the importance of the issue, the crisis is here, and now focus on solutions and creating that transition. So can you give us a sense of the temperature here for making a just transition toward a greener, cleaner economy? Here in Davos. Here in Davos, yes. Hmm. Mixed temperature, I would say. I think that there is, in a way, almost a battle between two views of the world. One that has understood the crisis that we're in, that we can no longer continue to pump money into fossil fuel investments, which banks are still doing according to a report we put out this week called It's the Finance Sector, Stupid. So there's one group of companies that I think are trying to both shift the money, but also smaller companies that are really looking for the solutions and trying to move forward. And then there's a group of the old energy guys, right, that are the oil companies, the utilities, the banks who are not yet ready to give up that short-term profit or haven't, which I find incredible, understood the time frame on the science of the situation we're in to make that move. So the temperature is lukewarm, I would say, on the green. There's a lot of talk, but if you look behind the curtain and you see what they're actually committing to and what they're doing and what they're saying to the policymakers and the politicians, then you'll see that there's still a lot of work to be done by these companies. What are they saying to the politicians and the policymakers? Oh, they're saying don't move too quickly, or they're saying we need money, like the oil companies in the U.S. If there were ever to be a carbon bill, we want to have a guarantee that we're not going to be sued for past liability. It's that type of thing. I know in that session on the green equation, there's an equation, there must be some future narrative where it's a win-win game for everyone. Or perhaps let's just say we have to think about our own transformation as companies and in the financial sector. And I know that Mark Carney suggested to you that it wasn't the the economy stupid, it was the transition stupid. Mm -hmm. And so essentially the focus is on what's your plan for the transition. Mm -hmm. And that's a really interesting question because it really means that the sector seems to be thinking about what can we actually do 
What are you doing? How are you doing this? And so when you come up with a good plan or a good strategy, which is more a positive narrative, here's the economic opportunity, then I can imagine others would get on board. And you know, we've got Nick Stern that's always created the economic argument of how if we don't de-risk and create climate resilient communities sooner or faster, we're going to pay the price and, you know, more substantive. And in his reports, he suggested that there's a $24 trillion opportunity in the workforce until 2030 and 60 million jobs that mm. could be unlocked. And so how can we move toward that positive narrative. What is keeping back the energy sector from thinking of themselves not as energy providers of, let's say, traditional oil and gas, to service providers, managers of this new energy infrastructure? There's a role for the energy sector, these companies that are in the incumbents. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think just because the old energy guys are trying to hold things back doesn't mean that it's not happening in the world. If you look around, and here I get approached mostly by small and medium enterprises who are working hard to come up with the solutions on the circular economy as well of how you reuse products and how you slow a loop on, on that as well so that you can actually not have all of this extra waste that it's brought back in and you're not getting a new cell phone every year because your phone actually lasts longer and all of that type of thing. And there's so there's a tremendous amount of energy, I think, there and you're right, the fastest growing job creator in the U.S. in I think, 2018 was the solar industry. It's not like there's not opportunity out there. And in a way, the way that the European Union is positioning itself, it is putting in place the legislative framework, which is what you need in order to actually move forward and both have a just transition for workers who need to be retrained and reskilled so that they can have a good life for them and their families after having provided energy for society for so long, you know, but also you need to move forward and get those laws in place so that you get there. And I think what's holding it back, well, I think there's a number of things. I think the whole way our, our economy works of this short-termism, the focus only on the GDP, our elections are also short-term, all of this perpetuates a system. I think you also just have a group of mostly men who have benefited from the system for a long time and aren't ready to give that up. And so, yes, they could move into being service providers, right? An energy service provider in a more decentralized system. I'm not sure they're, though, really able to transform themselves that quickly. And so I think you see them also in a defensive, I think they're kind of trying to figure this out, like either they're blocking it and trying to hold back as long as possible, or they're looking for payoffs. The German government just paid off a bunch of utilities for a phase out, a much too slow phase out, but they're still getting money from the government, even though coal isn't profitable anymore. That's what I don't understand. Yeah. How is it that if we understand in the near term, next 10, 20, 30, 40 years up to 2050, that you know these are going to become stranded assets, I don't understand why anyone now would invest in a new oil and gas platform or a new coal-fired power plant if you know that in the future this is we're going toward renewables and you know that this grid infrastructure is being established. I don't get that. I don't get it either. I mean, I, I was shocked at the fact that there's $1.4 trillion that have been invested in fossil fuel by the, the banks, JP Morgan, Citibank, et cetera, Bank of America, who are here, who've been coming. I think partially, you know, if you take a comparison back to the 2008 financial crisis, you know, then maybe they could have said they didn't know. But now they do know. 
about the risks that are there. And therefore, it's them and, frankly, the governments that need to be starting to regulate this industry because they'll keep in their little world. You know, J.P. Morgan Chase has Rex Tillerson as a main person on their board, the former head of Exxon. It's those interests that are holding us back. And it's not that there isn't a huge amount of opportunity and entrepreneurs that are ready ready to right. go. Well, but also, if it's that interest that's holding back, I don't think it's just a societal risk or an environmental risk. It seems now a financial risk. Yeah. And money people respond to financial risk and make decisions on opportunity and risk and incentives. And so, you know, to your point on regulation, are there other are there incentives that we can create to create this transition so the financial community seizes the new energy transition that is happening? I think you can create incentives. I mean, I think if we were to shift the hundreds of billions of subsidies that go to fossil fuels exactly. into the infrastructure side and then to start building that, I think that would send a signal. But I guess I I feel like we don't have time just for incentives anymore. We actually need to regulate because we have to, we're at the key decade, you know, we have to more than have global emissions in 10 years. And so moving that money quickly, sending the signals that actually you're not going to get financed if you're building coal or oil or gas, but only if you're going in the renewables way, I think is a key thing that can happen quickly. That's why the banks are so important. What are some ideas you can share with our audience about how they can help create those tipping points of change in perspective in the financial community and the business community? Well, I think right now, if you have a a Chase credit card or a bank account, take your money out. That's something that you can do because they're investing, they've invested $200 billion since Paris Agreement in fossil fuels. So one thing you can do is as a, as a consumer, don't give these banks your money because they're putting it into the wrong stuff and really look at that piece of it, I think. Is there any sort of reporting? I know they have the carbon disclosure project on different companies and you know what their carbon footprint looks like and other kinds of metrics. Are there resources or tools? I'm sure you're creating some at Greenpeace that people can actually evaluate choices. I don't know if anyone knew that about Chase, and I'm sure they're not alone, so I don't know. Yeah, we just launched a World Economic Failure website, and there you can (laughs) see the banks and how they're doing, so that'll give some guidance to people, and we're working on other tools to see, well, where should you put your money, which is trickier. How about financial failings and then future opportunities? Can we help them move, you know, into this opportunity space? Because it always feels like the negative narrative just creates this wall. Yeah. Well, I think there's money to be made in renewables. There's money to be made in sustainable agriculture, which is a key part of the, the situation. There's mobility systems and building that out high-speed trains powered by renewable energy, passive houses that can generate electricity back into the grid. That's all there. You know, it's like the playing field has been tipped in one way toward the fossil, and we have to re-tip it into those types of solutions, which are ready now. Well, that sounds exciting, too. It sounds like this is the kind of world. It's cool. It's It's a much better world. You know, iPhone, I'm cool, design, future world. I don't understand why we wouldn't make those sorts of investments. I I mean, just think about think about air pollution and major emerging countries and their cities and how people have to sit in traffic and have all the air pollution that they have with simple things like bus rapid transit based on electric vehicle buses from renewable energy you could make people's lives so much better they'd have more time with their kids or whatever they want to be doing instead of sitting in traffic the thing to know is that we need people to engage in making that happen 
because those that want to hold us back, they're very active. They put a lot of money into holding back laws. But if you want that in your local district or you need a bus to get from where you live somewhere else, well, then go and make it happen. You can make it happen. Talk to your local authorities. Get your city council involved in building a mobility system. I mean, gosh, I'm in the Netherlands. You would be amazed at the biking infrastructure there. We rule. Bikes rule. And there's ramps that go above highways so that the bikes can travel safely. And I think that's the key thing. We all have to be part of making the solutions possible or not possible, happen while making sure that the national laws get in place that make the big financial shifts occur. So find your passion and then actually take action on it because everyone's action at this point matters, right? It all matters. It really does. And there's so many people all around the world who are doing that. And they're doing it in different ways. You can do it from being engaged in your local school board to suing a company You know, we have a young climate activist here from South Africa as part of the case against a number of governments for the lack of action. You just had uh, the Dutch government went to the Supreme Court, be found to be inconsistent with the law because they haven't made the cuts necessary. So there's lots of things people can do. Well, that's also an interesting point, isn't it? 26 countries only are on time for their Paris climate agreement. Well, I think there's two things there. One is that there are countries that are falling behind in their implementation But I think the bigger issue is that the level of the targets that started doesn't encompass this kind of a solution economy. And therefore, our and because the science has shifted and we know now we have to move faster, they all have to increase their targets. And I think those signals will help make the solutions happen faster if they say we need to go faster further. And that's all going to happen at the end of this year at the next climate meeting in Glasgow. The EU is kind of on it. They're moving forward with a Green Deal. But obviously, where other countries go is important as well. Well, share with us a bit about the Green Deal. Does that inspire you? Is is that something to, uh, countries can latch on to to see, okay, here's a model of success for financing a climate-friendly future? Also, perhaps thinking about different nation states and what their needs are. What what can what can the world do? What can the business community do? What can the technology pioneers do in order to help advance the more ambitious goals that these nation states have put forward in the Paris Agreement? So I think the Green Deal, the, the details matter on it. So within the EU, you have a proposal by the new commission for a Green Deal that has a target to reduce emissions by 55%. Europe should be up at 65%, so I'd be more excited about it if it was 65%. But it actually goes across the economy. So it goes into the agriculture sector, it has yes. mobility, it has energy. And it has a just transition fund for for workers. And I think there's still more to be done there, but I think they very much see that as a way of trying to chart and send the signals to move things more, more quickly. And they need to be working with the least developed countries in partnership to build, you know, the renewable energy infrastructure that's needed and to drive down the cost. Because the thing is right now, it's already the case that renewables are cheaper than building new coal just about anywhere. But getting it actually in place and sharing the know-how of how to do it so that every country doesn't have to learn all by itself all over again. 
I think is very important. Are there platforms for these countries? I mean, I think the SDG Knowledge Platform is one I can think of. There's one. There's one called the NDC, the Nationally Determined Contribution, which is shorthand mm-hmm. for National Targets mm-hmm. Platform that has a whole range of countries and some think tanks in it, which I think is trying to do that kind of an exchange. Because if you think about it, we need to accelerate learning. This um, is exactly it. Where are those learning platforms? Right. Where are those master classes you right. know, online for countries to be able to pick up the best? and business and technology and expertise doesn't exist yet, does it? I think it exists, but I think it's quite old-fashioned. Like, I think that it's still kind of government-to-government platforms. Rather, I think we could probably, governments could learn a bit from youth on this Mm -hmm. of how to actually use social media platforms to be sharing more. I mean, Malati, who is one of the, she's our our plastics, what you say, advocate of what into plastics and at her 19-year-old age is able to get a country to move away from plastics extraordinary and a testament really to um, her schooling at the green school in Indonesia, which I think is really great. Mm. In any case, she's very, very much an advocate for education and they have a a site called Youthtopia where they're actually building their own knowledge platform and online learning for how to become a climate, not just activist, but, you know, informed global citizen. But in any case, I do think that, yeah, the knowledge and education is is really important and sharing best practices, certainly, and having, you know, that platform to go to to find that intelligence. And I can imagine as well within businesses to actually get to the how in your panel on the green equation, Andrew Liver said, we've got to find a way that these targets get into the KPIs, the key performance indicators for companies. And mm-hmm. so as you mentioned with the Green Deal, you have each of the sectors mm-hmm. represented. How can you make that translation from the goals to say the Green Deal or you know in the, the Climate Paris Agreement then into the KPIs for business? Like what needs to happen to get to that? Well there's all kinds of support for companies to do this and it's been there since I was at WWF in ninety whatever. Yes. Um, <laughs> so there's now something called science based targets, which yes. is run by so, uh, We Mean Business. There's We Mean Business, there's World Resources Institute yeah. and And that has set out a process for companies to set targets, 1.5 degree targets. There's methodologies that are there that help them translate. They need to do a plan, and then they're supposed to report regularly. I think that it could move much faster, but the tools are there. So any company that says they don't know what to do haven't been looking in the ecosystem of support at all. And I think Dow Chemical, which was the company, was even part of some of those in the past. So, you know, I think in a way, you know, these companies have had so much time to prepare for this. And I think what I've been trying to say to them here is, you know, the speed at which we now need to move may be uncomfortable, but that's because you didn't act for a long time. And we need to get used to disruption because the disruption is coming, it's happening. It's happening in the streets, which is just the beginning. And in disruption, there is opportunity. And if there's no disruption, then the costs are just totally unacceptable and breathtaking. So I think that's the mindset that we need to have people in. Well, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks Thanks for being here. Yeah. All right, wonderful. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to our Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com forward slash worldwide. Have a beautiful day.